on, true crime fans. I'm your host, Teeth. And I'm your host, Daphne. And you're listening to Going West. Hello, everybody. Today's case was recommended by both Kayla and someone who wishes to remain anonymous. So thank you both so much because this case is truly just bizarre and suspicious and bone chilling. And I know you guys are going to feel the same. And by the way, since this is our after the holiday episode, um, if you're listening to this when it comes out, we hope you had a wonderful holiday. Yes, hope you guys had a wonderful holiday with friends and family. Actually, the next episode that we're going to come out with... Wait, let me check my calendar really quick. Um, Okay, the next episode we're going to come out with is technically going to be our anniversary episode. We are almost five years into going west. We released our first episode on New Year's Eve of 2018. I can't even believe that we are this far with this many episodes. I know. It's it's unreal. So thank you guys so much for listening all this time, um, which we'll, we'll, we'll kind of harp on more next time. But let's get into today's story. All right, guys, this is episode 368 of Going West. So let's get into it. In November of 2017, a 22-year-old woman went missing in Chicago after sending a string of urgent text messages to a friend. Nearly two weeks later, a 911 call was made from her cell phone, but the call ended almost as soon as it was made. When this final call was pinged, police discovered that it originated from a nature preserve 45 minutes away from where she went missing. This is the story of Cheyenne Clues. Diane Cluse was born on March 2nd, 1995 to Lydia and Robert Cluse and grew up alongside two sisters, Karen and Mariah. Cheyenne was raised in Downers Grove, Illinois, which is just about 30 minutes west of downtown Chicago. Her family has understandably maintained their privacy since her disappearance, as you guys will see, so very little is known about her early life or her family life, but her online persona portrayed a warm, fun-loving young woman. She frequently posted pictures of animals, especially dogs, quotes about treating others with kindness, pictures with her friends, and stills from her favorite show, Shameless, because as many of us know, Shameless takes place in Chicago, including one photo of the cast around a table with the caption that read, just my family and I having Christmas dinner early. One friend wrote about her after her death, quote, Cheyenne had an adventurous soul and one of the biggest hearts I've ever known. In 2016, her mom Lydia sadly passed away after a quick descent into liver failure. As Lydia battled her disease, Cheyenne wrote on Facebook, quote, 
I would do anything to hear your voice, Mom. I love you so much. Your daughters, husband, sisters, brothers, grandchildren. You are so loved by everyone, Mom. You're my best friend. Always have been and always will be. I don't pray much until lately. I was told the most beautiful soul is leaving us soon, but was told too soon. I'm asking for all the help possible. And to the dismay of her family, in January of 2016, Lydia lost her battle with her disease. According to friends and family, Cheyenne understandably suffered the loss deeply and fell into a depression after her mom passed because, as you just heard from her post, she considered her mom one of her best friends, so this was a particularly devastating loss for her. She tragically also lost her beloved dog around this time, so overall, Cheyenne and her family were really suffering emotionally. And then again, just under two years later, with what would happen to Cheyenne. So after Cheyenne's mom passed, Cheyenne tried to surround herself with fun times with her friends, going out frequently. When they did, friends remember that Cheyenne was routinely pursued by the men that she came in contact with whether the attraction was reciprocated or not. Chad Chanapai, who identified Cheyenne as his best friend, claimed that he believed that these men often had ill intentions. He said he felt obligated to protect her, and even recalled a time when he sustained eight stitches while defending Cheyenne from a man that he'd perceived as a threat. Cheyenne herself had a few minor run-ins with the law, including a charge back in 2015 when she was just 20 years old for underage drinking. And on September 22, 2017, shortly before her disappearance, she was charged with both illegal transportation of alcohol and obstructing identification. And her male companion, 31-year-old Gabriel Setacase, was charged with possession of a controlled substance. Shortly before her disappearance, Cheyenne started hanging out with a man 16 years her senior, 38-year-old Brian Biddle. Now, Brian absolutely loved to party and was known to dabble in drugs as well, yet the exact nature of Cheyenne and Brian's connection is still unknown, though it does seem as if they had been testing the waters of a somewhat romantic relationship that was still new and casual at the time. So after spending Thanksgiving in the suburbs with her family, Cheyenne wanted to head into the city for a few days to see Brian. So on Monday, November 27th, Cheyenne packed a small bag, including her laptop and a few items of clothing, and headed into Chicago to party and have fun for a few days. That same morning, Brian posted pictures of the two of them together on Cheyenne's Facebook page. Because Cheyenne didn't have a car, Brian ordered her an Uber, headed for his house on North Kilbourne Avenue in the Hermosa neighborhood of North Chicago. Then on Wednesday, November 29th, so two days after she left her family's home, a strange interaction with her best friend Chad prompted concern from her family and friends and set into motion a tragic series of events that have yet to be explained. On the morning of November 29th, around sunrise, Chad missed a few calls from Cheyenne, followed by texts that sounded frantic. At 7.08 a.m., Cheyenne texted him, quote, Babe, can you please answer? When he didn't, she texted him again about 30 minutes later at 7.41 a.m. saying, Chad. Then another 30 minutes later at 8.10 a.m., she said, Are you okay? 
14 minutes after this, at 8.24 a.m., Chad responded with, quote, Sorry, babe, I just woke up. He called her back, but she didn't answer. He then texted her again saying, quote, Hey, babe, please call me back. Yes, I'm okay. I was just asleep. But Cheyenne never responded to him. And I know I just threw a ton of times at you guys, but basically... She is texting Chad over the course of around an hour and 15 minutes looking to get his attention. He's not answering his phone or his text because he's sleeping. And she is, for whatever reason, trying to get in contact with him over an hour and 15 minutes. Yeah, and this is kind of strange because clearly she needs uh, something from Chad, whether it's help or his attention. But she's not telling Chad exactly what's going on. And we actually talked about this a few weeks ago in the Kyle Fleischman episode where we were saying how he was also frantically trying to get attention from his friends and family, calling them over and over, but not leaving a voicemail because it's almost like he needed their attention now. So he didn't have time to leave a voicemail and just wanted to move on to try to contact the next person. Yeah. So kind of similar how it seems like she's just trying to get him to answer her, but not explaining what's going on, which obviously leaves us with many, many questions. So Cheyenne's Facebook has since been disabled, but a few accounts of the timeline of events claim that although that was the last time that Chad heard from Cheyenne, she continued to share posts online. About an hour after her final text to Chad, Cheyenne allegedly shared a post on Facebook at about 9.30 a.m. and then tagged Brian in another post on Facebook at about 9.35 a.m., Though her timeline and movements during this period are largely unknown, investigators announced, quote, Authorities learned Cheyenne Cluse traveled to Chicago and was seen the night of December 1st in the 2100 block of North Kilbourne in the city's Hermosa neighborhood. Now, like we just said, this is where Brian lives. So this would mean that she had likely been staying with Brian that whole time over those few days, making him one of the last people to see Cheyenne alive. After the early morning hours of Saturday, December 2nd, no one heard from or saw Cheyenne, including Brian. Her family admitted that she would often take off for a few days or a week at a time, but that it was usually to go into the city to stay with friends and go out. Like any typical 22-year-old, Cheyenne was usually not far out of reach. She was active across multiple social media platforms and would call and text her family and friends frequently. But after those final texts and calls to Chad, there was complete radio silence. Now, it was rare for her to be out of contact with everyone that she knew and loved, and even more rare for her to be inactive on social media. So in the early days of December, growing concerned, Cheyenne's dad reported her missing. Then, on December 11th, 2017, another eerie development came about. Cheyenne's phone dialed 911, but the call ended before the caller said anything. The strange thing here was that at the time of this call, it had been nine days since anyone had seen or heard from Cheyenne. The call was placed in the vicinity of the Mallard Lake Forest Preserve, which is a 948-acre preserve in Hanover Park, Illinois, boasting an 85-acre lake along with boating, fishing, and hiking trails. So obviously this does not look good because 
911 is getting a call from this nature preserve, and Cheyenne has been nowhere for nine days. This is such an eerie part of the story because it was over a week later, so much time has passed, and the fact that 911 couldn't even pick up the call because it ended so fast, like, what does that mean? Yeah, so, so eerie. And this development brought forth a slew of new questions and theories because the preserve is situated 20 miles or 32 kilometers from where Cheyenne is last believed to have been seen, which again is at Brian's house in Chicago. Yeah, so how did she get all the way out there or how did her phone get all the way out there? Right, and it's also about 18 miles or 28 kilometers from her home in Downers Grove. But yeah, again, with no car and none of her friends or family having any knowledge of Cheyenne having been picked up or having ordered a car, how in the hell did she get out there? And was it even Cheyenne who made that call? If it wasn't, it may have been someone who took her phone there in an attempt to throw investigators off the trail. Or perhaps her phone had been stolen or discarded there, and maybe the call was an accident. If the person using the phone was not Cheyenne, the phone was likely locked on her home screen, and calling 911 would have been one of the only available functions that it served. The phone had also sustained at least nine days without losing battery, which obviously means that someone either turned it off and back on again, or it had been charged. Yeah, it's kind of hard for me to believe that someone would have stolen her phone and then didn't attempt to make a call for over a week and a half and then did so in the middle of a nature preserve in winter. Like, why would somebody be out there with her phone anyway and call 911 just to hang up and then make no other calls from her phone? Like, it's just, it's too weird for me to feel like that's a separate thing. Yeah, absolutely. In, in my opinion, it feels, it really does feel like this was an attempt to discard of her phone and then maybe it just accidentally called emergency. Well, my thought is, you know, was Cheyenne being held captive somehow? And then maybe she was able to place this desperate call to 911 only for her captor to find out and hang up before she could speak to the dispatcher. Right. And I totally get that. But if they had pinged the call to that nature preserve, like was the person holding her captive in that nature preserve or what? Like what well, was exactly? That's what I'm thinking. I don't know how or why, yeah, but or... it's it's just weird that her phone called 911 and ended up in this nature preserve that is about an hour away by car from where she was last seen. Like, how did that happen? That's why it's hard for me to believe that it's not related to her disappearance, especially because she did disappear. A 911 call was made. It's just really eerie. I guess if this was a captive situation, it's possible that she was being held somewhere else and then Maybe she was being, you know, walked into this nature preserve, which could have been the last place that, you know, she ended up and then somehow was able to, like, get her phone and, and make an emergency call. Or maybe they're trying to get rid of evidence in the forest. And like you had said, that's where an accidental phone call is happening while they're trying to dispose of her phone in the middle of a thousand acre preserve, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So a, a lot of disturbing thoughts Too many run questions. through the mind. I think, yeah. yeah, I think I'm just running in a circle with my brain here, uh, trying to think about the scenarios, but... It's hard not to because it's, it's such a suspicious detail of this story that just makes you need to know what that was about. So obviously this felt like a big lead. So the DuPage County Sheriff's Office dispatched detectives to this area to perform an extensive search. 
But weirdly, nothing was found, like no trace evidence that Cheyenne had ever been there and no sign of her or her phone. But again, it's not like they were able to search all 1,000 acres of this preserve, so it's possible that there was something there that they were not able to find. Sure, this is a massive area. It's freaking huge. So as we said, Cheyenne didn't have a car, but she also didn't have very much money with her, nor many of her belongings. Brian, the guy that she was staying with before she disappeared, the one who's 16 years older than her, confirmed that she did leave personal items behind at his house, but hasn't said exactly which items she took and which she left behind, so it's unclear if it seemed that Cheyenne partially packed up her things before she left or if she fled without them, or if she was taken without them. In a conversation with a friend on Facebook, Brian claimed that police searched his residence and took a phone, a pair of shoes, and a makeup bag that were believed to belong to Cheyenne. But he added, quote, it was someone else's phone, yeah, and her makeup bag and pair of boots been here, but I didn't know they were hers. They were just with all the other female stuff they be leaving behind everywhere. He added that police told him that they recovered Cheyenne's phone, but whether it was the phone that made the 911 call from Mallard Lake or not is unclear, and police have not made that information public. So I think that that phone would say a lot, you know, where this phone was found. And again, this is just Brian telling us that police told him that. So this is like a secondhand account. So I don't even know if we can believe that they actually have her phone. And if if they do have it, we have no idea where they found it. So Right, yeah. And we also don't know if she has more than one phone. I don't necessarily know why she would, but maybe she did. So again, lots of questions. So when police questioned Brian about the last time that he interacted with Cheyenne, he claimed to have gone to bed late on December 1st or in the early morning hours of December 2nd, and that he slept for 18 hours. And when he woke up, Cheyenne was gone. Seems like a very convenient story to be sleeping for 18 hours when... Funny uh, you say that. (laughs) You know, (laughs) the girl that you were just with is now gone. Uh, I completely agree, and so does everybody else. Like, this raised so many red flags for people eyeing the case, obviously including the investigators. But some have pointed out that if they had been using drugs and partying over the course of those few days, like it seems that they had been, it wouldn't have been too unusual to sleep for that long, like coming off a high, but... It was definitely, like you said, a convenient backstory since it couldn't be verified by anyone other than the person who was missing. Exactly. And obviously, Brian has remained on the radar of suspicion, certainly from the point of view of spectators who were invested in the case. But police have actually spoken out on his behalf, claiming that he's been very helpful and communicative and instrumental in pursuing answers for Cheyenne. Police have said that, contrary to popular belief, Brian is actually not a suspect in Cheyenne's disappearance, and in fact, he's no longer even a person of interest. According to Detective Jeff Leonard, Brian Biddle has been talking to them openly and makes for a, quote, valuable witness. He's been very vulnerable and open about the guilt and responsibility that he feels for Cheyenne's disappearance and how badly he hopes for resolution. Apparently, he wrote on Facebook, quote, I've been dying inside for three months trying to figure out who picked her up. I gave every name I ever knew associated with her. 
and every idea I had to the detectives till they got sick of me calling them. It's eating at me every minute, man. I swear, I ain't done shit for three months but think about it or get high so I don't think about it. I love her, man, and I hope she's okay so I can kick her fucking ass, man. Interesting. Interesting thing to say. Interesting wording. So a few months after Cheyenne's disappearance, Brian was arrested on unrelated charges, including possession of a firearm and narcotics. He started his sentence at the Cook County Jail and was eventually transferred to the Department of Correction in Springfield, Illinois, with a projected release date of April 3rd, 2026. Still, police don't believe that he was involved in anything related to her case. So if Brian Biddle didn't have anything to do with Cheyenne's disappearance, who did? cash back while you shop? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out Rakuten, especially because this week, May 6th through May 13th, Rakuten is having their biggest cash back event of the year with 15% cash back at hundreds of stores. Rakuten is the shopping platform to use so that you can save big while you shop. They're partnered with over 3,500 stores across all categories including fashion, beauty, electronics, home essentials, travel, dining, and so many others. Some of our personal favorite participating stores are Ray-Ban, Hydro Flask, Clinique Online, and Verbo, just to name a few. There are so many big stores and brands that you're already buying from. But don't miss this major deal. It's a limited time only with eight days of these high cashback rates, so you can save more than usual. Membership is free, and when you sign up and shop today, you can get an extra 10% cashback boost. That's an extra 10% cashback on top of the 15% cashback. You won't see higher cashback rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. We know you guys love a good mystery, especially one with twists and turns. Am I right? This is why you guys are going to love June's journey. Step into the role of June Parker while she tries to uncover the mystery of her sister's murder in the roaring 1920s. In this hidden object mystery game, put your detective skills to the test. While you're on this quest to uncover a scandalous hidden family secret, you can customize your very own luxurious estate island and let your imagination run wild. Daphne and I actually love to play this game together because you can chat with and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. You'll even get the chance to play in a detective league to put your skills to the test. It is truly so much fun. You guys are going to love it. So what do you think? Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Heath and I are major sufferers of seasonal allergies. They are the worst. It can even be difficult to host this show when our noses are all clogged up. We have tried brand after brand, but luckily, for those of us who live with symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. 
And big shout out to Claritin for supporting this show and providing us with samples. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so that you can breathe better. I feel like I sneeze all day long. I always have an itchy face. But now I can actually go outside in the grass and not have a sneeze attack or be stuffed up thanks to Claritin D. Are you ready to live as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so that you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Sometimes Daphne and I are doing research for Going West, and we subscribe to different newspapers from all around the country, and then we forget to unsubscribe. But that's exactly why we love Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. You'll be able to see all of your subscriptions in one place, and if you see something you don't like, Rocket Money can help you cancel it in just a few taps. It is seriously that easy. And that's why Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things that you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash going west. That's rocketmoney.com slash going west. rocketmoney.com slash going west. As true crime listeners, you're aware of the dangers out there in the world. So why not keep your home as safe and secure as possible? Daphne and I do this by using Simply Safe. For award-winning security and peace of mind wherever your summer plans take you. When we get ready for our summer trips this year, I will feel so much better about leaving the house knowing that Simply Safe has our back, just freeing me from my constant anxieties. And also something I love is that their system blankets your entire home in protection from break-ins to fires to floods. And with indoor and outdoor cameras to choose from, you will feel safe any time of day or night. And Simply Safe is backed by 24-7 professional monitoring agents to help stop crimes in real time. Which is part of why they were named the best home security system of 2024. Simply Safe has given us and so many listeners real peace of mind, and we want you to have it too. Right now, get 20% off of any new Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring at simplysafe.com slash going west. There's no safe like Simply Safe. On December 22, 2017, the Sheriff's Office conducted a massive search of the Mallard Lake Forest Preserve, but did not find Cheyenne. Again, impossible for them to search the whole thing during that time, um, but what they did search, they did not find. However, 
They noted that the icy weather that Chicago was experiencing that winter was not conducive to an intensive ground search of, you know, a forested area. And they vowed to wait until spring when the ground was thawed, which unfortunately happens in a lot of cases that experience extreme winters. So months passed with no movement. Then in March of 2018, the sheriff's office conducted the search again in more favorable weather. The DuPage County Sheriff's Office, along with the Will County Emergency Management Agency Search and Rescue Team, employed more than 100 team members to help look for Cheyenne. Along with the experts were volunteers from the community, Cheyenne's friends and family, and five cadaver dogs who also descended upon the park, hoping for any sign of her. While they again had no luck locating Cheyenne, one detective claimed that they had recovered personal items from the brush, but whether or not those belonged to Cheyenne is unknown to the public. So that pretty much wrapped up that search, with nothing major being found. Thus, more than five years passed after Cheyenne's disappearance with no information and no answers for her grieving family. Then, on January 15th of 2023, a chilling revelation came. The Cook County Sheriff's Office announced, quote, the Sheriff's Office worked closely with the DuPage County Sheriff's Office and the FBI to successfully identify the remains of Cheyenne Cluse through dental records last week. The Sheriff's Office will continue to work with Chicago police to investigate the circumstances of her death, but we are grateful to help bring some measure of closure to the Cluse family. Now, crazy enough, Cheyenne's body was recovered in 2020 and was only identified in 2023, so it took years for them to figure out that these remains were hers. And like most of the elements of this case, the particular details of the discovery are murky. One DuPage County local who claimed to have spoken to one of the detectives working Cheyenne's case alleged, quote, her body was found in a state of decomposition on the side of an interstate. They had her labeled as a Jane Doe in a morgue that was overflowing and on backlog. Her body was there for about two years before they had been able to verify that it was her via her dental records. This account proved to be mostly true when a spokesman for the Cook County Medical Examiner's Office announced that Cheyenne's cause and manner of death were undetermined, but that the remains had been identified as hers. She was found on March 16th, 2020, but wasn't linked to her own identity until her dental records confirmed that the decomposing body did in fact belong to Cheyenne. Strangely, the only detail that the public does have about the discovery of her remains is that they were not recovered at the Lake Mallard Forest Preserve after all. In the limited amount of information offered by the press release, the public is informed that the remains were found on the 6800 block of South Dorchester Avenue in Chicago proper, which is over an hour away by car from the preserve where her phone last pinged at and 30 minutes from Brian's house where she was last seen. So we're going to include some like uh, street views of this area because it's kind of confusing. Obviously, Heath just read us a quote a minute ago that said that 
Her body was found on the side of an interstate, but the 6800 block of South Dorchester Avenue is not an interstate. It is a it is a street where there are homes and buildings. Like it, it looks like a pretty cute street. There's like apartment buildings and homes on this road, but the interstate that's nearby is blocks away. And even thinking of the interstate, it's not like a freeway like I'm picturing in my mind where you get on and off exits. It's like this highway is on a flat road where on either side there is like gas stations and businesses and there's just multi, it's like a multi-lane road, essentially. Yeah, there's four lanes on each side and then there's like a like a median divider between those lanes, but um, but yeah, it's not like a freeway, like what you're thinking. It's just like there are businesses and stuff on each side. Exactly. So, so I'm kind of confused if she was found in, on South Dorchester Avenue or if she was found off the interstate. Because again, these are blocks away from each other. So it's, it's confusing where exactly she was found. And that doesn't help answer the many questions that we have. But apparently the area in which she was found, South Dorchester Avenue, is residential. Like I said, it's flanked by apartment buildings and it's across the street from railroad tracks and a park in the Woodlawn neighborhood of the south side of the city. Cheyenne's body was in yet another jurisdiction, so the Chicago Police Department joined forces with the other investigating agencies. The DuPage County Sheriff's Office became involved because the Mallard Lake Preserve is located in DuPage County. The Cook County Sheriff's Office joined because she disappeared from Cook County, and then the FBI stepped in when the local agencies failed to turn up any sign of her. Now, both the Chicago Police Department and the Cook County Medical Examiner were also investigating. But even with all of this extra manpower, Cheyenne's story remained a mystery. And it's just interesting to know that Cheyenne was able to get out of Brian's house without being spotted because he also lives on a residential street that's lined with houses. And I'm also going to post a photo of this on our social so you guys have a visual. But it's just so weird to me that she somehow left his house and no one knows who transported her where because no one saw it happen. So again, was she transported to the Lake Mallard Forest Preserve? How did she get out of Brian Street? Did somebody pick her up? Did she do this on her own? Like, what led her to the spot where her body was found? So some blame the investigators for the lack of answers, calling it a botched and careless pursuit of justice. As we've seen many times when young women disappear under these circumstances, the public often writes them off as addicts or partiers or sex workers, which of course shouldn't have any effect on the investigation, even if those descriptors were true, but it often does, with both the general public and the investigators seeming to take less care in the pursuit of justice if it seems that there is any blame to be placed on the victim for her lifestyle. Now, one of Cheyenne's friends alleges that the first three detectives assigned to Cheyenne's case, quote, gave up. The first detective apparently retired the same week that she was reported missing, so he simply passed it off to his successor. And the next detective allegedly didn't prioritize it because of the circumstances under which she disappeared. According to this source, it wasn't until a Cook County cold case detective took over the investigation that any progress was made in her identification. 
On the same day that her discovery was announced to the public, January 15th, 2023, Cheyenne's sister Mariah wrote on Facebook, quote, Dear friends and family, on behalf of the Cluse family, we would like to extend our appreciation to the DuPage and Cook County Sheriff's Departments, as well as the other agencies involved in the search for Cheyenne. We have been looking for Cheyenne and information related to her disappearance since she went missing over five years ago. While it was not the news that we were hoping for, we have received confirmation from law enforcement that Cheyenne's remains were found. As her immediate family in mourning, we ask for privacy as we grieve the unbearable loss of a daughter, sister, aunt, and a human being. We plan to hold a private memorial service for Cheyenne amongst us, but we hope that everyone can find solace in knowing that she has been found and respectfully laid to rest. Please be mindful of the sensitive nature of these circumstances and the effects that this can have for our family and other families who are dealing with missing loved ones. The only people who really have any details about the investigation are her family and the police, who have both remained tight-lipped on the details and whether or not foul play is still suspected. The exact location of her discovery has not yet been revealed, and her cause of death, if it was able to be determined, has not been released. Her family has been understandably private about any relevant details and developments regarding the case, keeping it close to their chests while presumably grieving and awaiting answers. So the public is left to speculate based on the scraps of amateur investigative reporting and secondhand information online. So let's get into this. One pervasive theory is that she accidentally overdosed after a few drug-fueled days at Brian's and became scared or paranoid and fled. But that still begs the question, how did she wind up so far away? And why had she been there in the first place? And then of course, how was that 911 call made from her phone nine days after her disappearance in a totally different area? Maybe she accepted a ride from someone who took advantage of the opportunity to harm a vulnerable young woman. Though Brian has apparently been ruled out, the timeline of having been asleep for almost a full day is a pretty convenient story as we mentioned, but we can only trust that the police know more about his innocence than they've let on, and perhaps even have some sort of alibi or proof that he remained at home for the entirety of those 18 hours that he claimed that he was sleeping. Then there was the 911 call. Was the call an accident or was it truly a cry for help? Was she being pursued or hurt at the time and someone had intercepted its delivery before taking her life and discarding the phone? Or had Cheyenne not even placed the call? Aside from Brian, there are a few other men in her life who deserve a second look. There was Gabriel, who as we mentioned was arrested with Cheyenne about two months before her disappearance. And the details of their relationship are unknown, but perhaps if they had a romantic relationship prior to the one that she was having with Brian, it's possible that either Gabriel, Brian, or both of them were jealous of the attention that the other man was receiving and acted out of resentment or spite. And Gabriel resided only 12 miles or 19 kilometers from that forest preserve west of Chicago. Like Brian, Gabriel also served time in prison after Cheyenne's disappearance, but his arrests were made on drug charges. 
Now, as far as the public is aware, he's never been considered a person of interest in the disappearance of 22-year-old Cheyenne Cluse. Brian's house was about 18 miles or 28 kilometers northwest of where she was found deceased, so she more than likely had assistance in getting there. Another theory that the police latched onto was the possibility of sex trafficking, which is often discussed when cases of young women in vulnerable positions vanish. But this case doesn't seem to have the markings of a typical sex trafficking abduction. And once she was found deceased, it seemed to put an end to that speculation. Because of the privacy of both her family and the police, as well as the mysterious timeline and circumstances, much of the information gleaned is from secondhand sources and social media. So we may never really know what fate befell Cheyenne and why. In an interview with True Crime Daily about her case, her family declined to speak on camera, but Cheyenne's friend Chad and her aunt Sylvia spoke out on her behalf, as well as Gia Hoffman, who is the president of the Missing Persons Awareness Network nonprofit organization, which is focused on locating missing people in Illinois. The most recent update from Gia is that no one has been named a suspect in the case of Cheyenne Cluse. Chad and Gia continue to speak out about Cheyenne's loss on social media, just trying to get answers in her story. Now, something that I really wonder about and want to go back to really quick are those frantic texts and phone calls to Chad from about 7 a.m. until after 8 a.m. You know, she called him a bunch and was kind of begging him to answer. And when he did just 14 minutes after her final text, she didn't say anything else. So it makes you wonder why she was trying to reach him and then where she went after this and with who. Because it would be harder for me to believe that these texts were, you know, someone posing as Cheyenne since she called Chad. Like, what if Chad had answered? Obviously, if this wasn't Cheyenne, that would have been really risky. So that makes me feel like it had been her on the phone that morning. So how something could have happened so quickly after this without any witnesses seeing her in broad daylight or hearing something nefarious, it just really makes me wonder. Yeah, I mean, the phone call that she made, obviously I get what you're saying because people can impersonate you through text, but it doesn't really seem like that was the case here. And if that was the case, I'm sure that her family was would be able to kind of look at those texts and say, that doesn't sound like Cheyenne texting or like the way that she usually does text. So I don't know. I mean, my main thing is I just want to go back to Brian for a second because that whole thing about sleeping for 18 hours, that just really weirds me out. That doesn't give me a good feeling. And obviously most of the time in these investigations, it goes back to the last person to see this missing person. So well, and he had said, you know, I gave the police every name of every person that I knew that Cheyenne knew to try to figure out who could have picked her up if Brian is in fact innocent of being involved. And none of that led anywhere. So again, that brings us back to the question of how did she get out of the house? So it's just weird. And then obviously that very chilling 911 call that was made nine days after she went missing. What is up with that? I want to know about that so bad. Right. And you can imagine if they found her body located miles away from Brian's house, she would have had to have taken an Uber or a taxi or something. And maybe somebody would have record of that 
But again, if they don't have her phone uh, and they can't see that, then then it's like it's like that's that's I think the next part is like how did she get to where she was finally located? Well, I don't know that Uber was related in this only because I think either way they would be able to see the charge come up on her email or her her bank statement. You know what I mean? Right, but that gives us kind of a peek into you know, her leaving the house, right? Right, which is why, again, Brian thought that somebody picked her up that she knew, but then do the phone records indicate that she reached out to anybody else and that somebody else picked her up? Like, how... She would have had to have called someone. It's not like she walks outside, oh, hey, there's my friend. Get, give me a ride, you know? Yeah, so, yeah. You would have to call or text somebody to come pick you up. Yeah. So did they look at that? You right. Know? So what, what records... I'm sure police have poured over all of these records, but do they indicate anything like they must indicate something and then again also her winding up deceased in a completely different area on the side of a road two and a half years later like it, it's very hard for me to believe looking at the street view again we don't know the exact location like we don't have the coordinates we just know the essential block that she was found in but you saw the block too there's no way that her body could be laying on the side of that road for two and a half years, let alone two and a half days yeah. and not be seen. Right, right. So yeah. where was it the rest of the time? It looks like it's, you know, a fairly like heavily trafficked area. Like people would be walking around or driving around. Yeah. Somebody would have seen something, but you know. So where was her body before that? I mean, this honestly reminds me of that case, Bo Man, that we talked about. How yes. he had gone missing and then he was, you know, found in this block that's it's like how in the hell did nobody see him for so long but it was because of this tall grass in this abandoned like building yeah i think having the exact location of where she would found would help for speculation purposes but yeah we know the lack of answers here is very frustrating as there are some disturbing and intriguing questions bouncing around all of our heads and that's why we wanted to cover this case, because something strange clearly happened to her, and there are a lot of peculiar elements here, but no answers. So Cheyenne's story really deserves to be shared and told, hopefully bringing answers in the future. If you have any information about the mysterious disappearance and death of Cheyenne Cluse, please call Illinois Crime Stoppers at 1-800-222-TIPS or 1-800-222-8477. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening to this episode of Going West. Yes, thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. And on Friday, we'll have an all-new case for you guys to dive into. Yes, and please don't forget to share Cheyenne's story. Again, hope you guys all had a great holiday, and we'll see you next time. All right, guys. So for everybody out there in the world, don't be a stranger. is the story of the one. 
As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.